This is episode number 48 with Aaron Keith Hawkins. You're in charge of your life. Welcome or welcome back to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to give you the tools to live a high-performance life. And today's guest, Aaron Keith Hawkins, is definitely doing that. That's when I really started this path of introspection and saying, how much of your life are you taking responsibility for versus how much are you blaming on your upbringing, your circumstances, your economic background? It's easy for us to put ourselves in a little box because of where we've been and who we know and all those things. But it really got me out of that and got me started thinking bigger about, okay, who is it that you want to be? Regardless of everything that you were sort of handed, what is it you're looking to create? And that's when my life started to change very, very rapidly. Aaron Keith Hawkins is the podcast host of Unbreakable Success and is passionate about personal development. I like his show. He definitely has on a lot of inspiring and informative people who bring a lot of great information. So check out his show. After a serious health scare in 2009, he found clarity for what he wanted to do in life. Not everyone gets a second chance to address their regrets and change their life, but Aaron did. He went for it. He became an inspiring, high-performance life coach and has some interesting stories on how he got on life's most meaningful path for himself. And he also wants to tell you how to do it. His goal is to help people realize the power that they have and how to get the most from the life that they're living, especially when you take personal responsibility for yourself. And that is a topic that I also am really passionate about. He has some great tools that you can apply right away in your life, right after listening to this podcast. And I can personally relate with his mission and his values. I also found it really interesting that Aaron is the chief of police in where the town where he lives, and he's been a police officer for quite a long time. And we talked about overcoming the stereotypes of being a police officer and how he's been able to apply a lot of his leadership techniques at work. We also talk about Aaron's journey to finding his mission in life. We talk about, quote, the pain that woke me up, how to take responsibility in your life, how to have more emotional control, and choosing how to tell yourself a story about a situation. All topics that we love thinking about and that I love talking about. Aaron is a loving family man, and it's really cool that he's pursuing his passion. Like, he still works full-time as a police officer, and on the side, he has his podcast and his coaching. And a podcast is a lot more work than you would think that it is, so it's really impressive that he's able to do all of those things and still have a nice, balanced life. I want to give a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. Check out kuatracks.com and you can see all the different types of racks that they have. It's pretty cool because they have lightweight racks and then they also have really sturdy racks. The Envy is the sturdiest of all bike racks. You can actually shake the rack and it won't move. The car, the rack will shake the car. So that's pretty cool because I've been driving down dirt roads and I've seen people's bike racks shaking side to side. And it's important to feel confident about your bike rack because those are expensive bikes that you're strapping to the back of your car and then driving down the highway at 80, 90, or maybe even hundred miles an hour if you're a speed demon. Have you guys checked out my brand Moxie and Grit, M-O-X-Y and Grit.com? I picked the name because I wanted to pick two words that described me. And after writing down a lot of words and using thesaurus, I was really happy that I came to these two words for the brand. And it's starting as a sock company. So I'm going to have lots of fun sock designs. You guys have seen the unicorn socks. There's a do epic shit sock. I, I'm not exactly sure the date that it's coming out. It might already be out by the time uh, this podcast launches. And there's going to be a few more after that. So keep an eye out for new designs and make sure you follow the instagram.com slash moxie and grit M-O-X-Y-A-N-D-G-R-I-T. Woohoo. Cool. 
I really appreciate you guys. I appreciate that you are listening to my podcast and that you support me in so many ways. And I really couldn't do this without you. That is what puts the wind in my sails. So again, thanks so much. I love connecting with you. Thank you so much for tagging me, for screenshotting the show. It helps me stay motivated and it makes me smile whenever I see that people are listening to it. It's really different seeing a a download number on a website versus actually seeing people connecting with your content. So thank you so much for doing that. And if you guys want to connect with Aaron, make sure that you check out his social media. It is tagged in the show notes. One more cool announcement before we get into it. Today, this week, we are launching my very first mountain bike wellness retreat called the Sonia Looney Experience. This has been something that I've been wanting to execute on for multiple years. It's been probably like four years. It's been an idea for that long. And it's finally the right time. So it is going to be in Bend, Oregon, the first weekend of October. And it's going to be mountain biking, guided rides for all ability levels. So there's going to be guides that will lead us on the rides. There's going to be yoga. There's going to be public speaking and and cool speeches you can listen to with uh, personal development in mind. There's going to be beer and brewery tours and just a great time. And it is a small group. Only 15 people can sign up. We want to keep it intimate. I want to get to know each and every one of you and be able to work with each and every one of you on a personal level. So if you're interested, go to Facebook and look up the Sonia Looney experience. That's the Facebook page. There's also going to be a link in the show notes if you want to sign up. We are taking deposits. We are launching at Sea Otter, which is this week. So if you want in, there are only 15 spots. So jump on it. All right, sweet. So let's get into the show with Aaron and how to have unbreakable success and live an awesome life. How's it going, Aaron? I'm doing great, Sonia. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate you uh, inviting me into the world and letting me share with you and the guests. It's awesome to be here. Oh, it's so cool to get to talk to you because you have an amazing story with a lot of really interesting things that have happened to you in your life. But I want to start with what I read about you and what I've heard you talk about. It was December of 2009. Yep. And I read that you collapse on the floor in front of your wife. Now, tell us about that. Yeah, that was, well, needless to say, it was a bit of an interesting moment. That was one of those days where I just come home from work. It was like probably the most routine type of day you can have. And I wound up waking up in the middle of the night. It was like 1.30 in the morning. And I had this like massive, excruciating chest pain. And at the time, I'd been in EMT for, gosh, over 13 years at that point. So I start self-diagnosing because I was having this pain radiating down my arm. And I actually woke up confused because I mean I was in a complete sound sleep and this pain woke me up. So I tried to do the, you know, awkward masculine thing. I I actually got out of bed and tried to walk it off, if you believe that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm pacing for, I don't know, it seemed like forever, but it's probably about a minute. I'm pacing back and forth in my bedroom trying to work out this chest pain and and figure out what's happening. But it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. It it was definitely the worst pain I've ever felt, which is, uh, yeah, even now I was going to say I had back pain, back surgery last year, but it was, it was way worse than that. (laughs) And, um, what was, what, what finally wound up happening is I realized I cleared my head and I realized that if I was having, if I was actually having a heart attack, that my three-year-old daughter was down the hall and either she or my wife was going to find me in the morning. And when that reality kind of kicked in, yeah, I became less concerned about the pain and more concerned about, holy God, I can't let this happen. So I woke up my wife and I said, babe, you got to call 911. I think I'm having a heart attack. And she jumped out of bed and she looked at me and she said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. And I paused for a second because I wanted to be really clear about what was happening to me, but to me, it was just undeniable. And as soon as I told her yes to call, it felt like I had a big dial on my back that was labeled energy and somebody just started turning it down. And I collapsed right there at the foot of the bed and couldn't move anymore. So my vision narrowed down to, best way I can describe it is like curtains closing on a stage. That's what happened to my vision. It was closing from the sides and in. I could hear, but I could only hear muffled sounds. And that was it. And what was most 
odd about that moment is I didn't have any fear of dying itself. I had this overwhelming sensation of regret, like instantly. I just, it hit me like a Mack truck because I'm thinking this can't be it. Like this can't be the end. I, and I found myself kind of verbalizing internally that I could have done more. I can or I can do more. I can do more. I can do more. This can't be it. And it was almost like I was begging for the opportunity to do more. And the regret was coming from, in a strange way, I began to sense, not visually see, but I began to sense every opportunity that I had missed in my life. So I was thinking about things like, you know, I could have been a better father, a better friend, a better spouse, just a better person. I could have done more. And I had this weird realization that, and life was good for me at that point. I had a great career. I'd been a police officer with a, a great agency. I had literally childhood friends that I was working with, an amazing wife, a healthy and amazing daughter who was so much fun. And I had great people surrounding me in my life. But I had this realization that I had pretty much just been taking what came to me as opposed to creating more of the experiences and things that I wanted to have in my life. And it was a really painful moment aside from the you know the physical pain I was feeling it hurt so the good news is I went to the hospital I wound up there for a couple of days I didn't actually they were able to test and found out that I didn't have a heart attack they think I had a TIA or mini stroke but I'm totally fine now no residual symptoms you know I've been good to go but that was a very pivotal moment for me as you can imagine and everything's kind of changed since then so that was a moment yeah, that must have been scary for your wife, too, to be like the innocent yeah. bystander of, oh, my gosh, what's happening to my husband? And I can't even really do anything. Yeah, she's the best because she's she's so much fun and she can be get excited about so many different things. But in the when things are hitting the fan, she is a solid rock like she will not budge. She's very business oriented and she holds it together in the worst moments. She keeps it together. And that's that's exactly what she did. Um, that night, which you know, is why we've been together for like almost 22 years, because I'm, I'm not letting that not letting that one go. <laughs> well, that sounds like an awesome partner that you have. Yeah. So, to okay, totally. so you you woke up. The the what you said is this pain woke me up, and yes, it's amazing that. And I'm trying to say it in a different way. So, like mm -hmm. a lot of times in our lives, pain and not necessarily like physical pain, like what you were enduring all the time, but pain and struggle and challenge that does wake us up in our life yeah. in many ways. Like there's like the saying truth through suffering and yes. your pain was chest pain, but it sounds like you did wake up. You did find your truth and your purpose and your reason to be whenever you had that happen to you. So what did yeah. you do next? Yeah, it's, I would love to say that I came out of the hospital and just blazed this trail of glory as soon as I got home, but I, it, but it totally didn't work out like that. The best way I can describe it is I, I realized that something had changed, not that something needed to change, but I realized something had changed kind of internally. And at that point, I had never so much as read or touched any type of personal development book at all. Like my when I finally started reading after I got out of high school, <laughs> I was reading all fiction, Stephen King and stuff like that, which which I love. I love me some Stephen King. But I I really didn't know what to do because I had been raised in a faith based home. I, was, I had a Christian upbringing, so I didn't feel like I needed to seek out some form of spirituality. But I, I knew I had to change something. So when I came home, I wound up doing a few things. I went back to college to finish my undergrad and ultimately my graduate degree. But that was just the beginning of it. What I wound up doing was searching the only name I knew when it came to what do you need to do or who do you talk to? What do you learn when you know you need to change or you want to change something in your life, but you're not sure where to look? And the only self-help name I knew was Tony Robbins at the time. And the only thing I knew about him was he had those funky infomercials <laughs> back in the 80s and 90s. It, I know he hates people even bringing it up, <laughs> but it's the truth. It was the only name I knew. So I Googled him. And as I mentioned, I'd been, I'd been a cop for a long time. So I Googled Tony Robbins and I put the word scam after it. <laughs> it searched because I wanted to find out there's something's got to be wrong because I'm sure it, it was one of those things where I knew I needed to find just something. I wasn't even sure what I was looking for. But I didn't want to be 
like taken for a ride, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I hesitated for weeks before I actually took the plunge and invested in one of his programs. So I, I think I spent, I might've even eBayed it or something. Like I bought some, this six or eight pack of CDs and I was hooked instantly by so much of what he said. And I need to say, I need to preface this by saying I'm not a complete, like I don't bow at the feet of anybody, whether it's Tony or anybody else, but I do intentionally learn from everybody I listen to and think, you know, what are they saying that is true about me that can apply to my life? And when I was introduced to him and I started listening to, it was his, I think it was one of his Unleashed the Power Within events. And it just triggered so much of what I hadn't been challenging myself to do and think about, about myself. And that's when I really started this path of, of introspection and saying, you know, how much of your life are you taking responsibility for versus how much are you blaming on your upbringing, your circumstances, your economic background, all those things that are easy to, it's easy for us to put ourselves in a little box, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. because of where we've been and who we know and, you know, all those things. But it really got me out of that and got me started thinking bigger about, okay, who is it that you want to be? Regardless of everything that, you know, you were sort of handed, what is it you're looking to create? And that's that's when my life started to change very, very rapidly. And how did you answer that question? Because I think that that's the question of what is my purpose? And a lot of times people don't actually know what their purpose is. And it's a really hard yeah. question to answer. So like, what were your steps for figuring out what that was? Yeah, it was a whole series of events. And I'll try to condense it. You know, I started reading Tony and I started reading, you know, I started just, uh, you and I have talked before about intention. And my intention at that point was that I wanted to affect more people than I had in a different way. And I wanted to be better at being a husband, better at being a dad and all those things. And it really came down to challenging myself to create my own interactions, my own circumstances. And the more that started happening, the more I started seeing things change and the more I started seeing people react to me differently. Like I would, I would actually, I would be in conversations that you know, a year or two beforehand, the conversation would have went in one completely different direction or my ego would have been triggered and, you know, the conversation would have went downhill or little things like that. But I found those interactions start evolving because I was becoming much more intentional about who I was being. And I was studying a ton about psychology and human motivation and human behavior and why we do the things we do and how to break some of those old habits and actually in every moment create the outcome that you want, like throughout the day, not just big outcomes, like what do I want my business to look like, but little outcomes, like when you're interacting with somebody, what do you want that engagement to be like? What do you want your emotions to feel like? And these, all these micro adjustments, like really small micro adjustments I found myself making were working. And, you know, my relationship with my wife, which was really great to begin with. It just evolved. And, you know, the petty disagreements just started happening less and less. And and we like organically were supporting each other more. And it evolved into this thing where I realized that I needed to teach it. And to answer your question about purpose, I realized that in my career, even though I had been in a law enforcement career for all those years, one of the things I loved doing the most more than anything else was teaching. I taught the police academy for years. I taught our in-service trainings. And I loved being in front of people and sharing information and helping people get new results. And when I started seeing new results happen for me, because I was studying and, and learning and experimenting with these different strategies that I was using interpersonally, and when it came to my mindset and my emotional emotional quality control and all these little things, I knew I had to share it. And that's when I decided to create my own website. And, you know, later on, I started my podcast and I uh, got into coaching people personally, one-on-one, and it just evolved into this thing, like it, it, looking over my shoulder since, I mean, it's been almost 10 years now since the day of that incident. And to say my life has completely been turned up, upside down is an understatement, but it's been great. That's amazing. And I think that you mentioned taking personal responsibility for yourself. That does help in arguments. It helps with, 
keeping you on a path that means something to you. But it's hard to take that responsibility for yourself, especially when you've made a mistake or it's hard to be honest with yourself too sometimes. So like, how do you teach people how to take responsibility for themselves? Yeah, totally. That's one of the, one of the things I, I teach uh, and I have like a structured curriculum that I, that people can go through, but one of the biggest, actually it's the, like the first lesson I teach is the act of deciding to act as if you're 100% responsible for every situation and every circumstance that you're in. And as soon as I say that, the natural reaction for most people, and you can see it in their face, is like, wait a minute, are you trying to say that I'm completely to blame for everything that has happened to me? Because, I mean, you and I both know people find themselves in really tough situations that are factually, they're not any fault of our own. But I always tell people, I said, look, let's break down this word responsibility, because you know, if we if we look at a, if at the word itself, response just simply means that we can respond to something with our thoughts and our actions. And the Latin root of the suffix, the I-B-L-E, that actually just means capable of or worthy of. So while our society normally uses the word responsibility to talk about blame or whose fault it was, when I use the word responsible, it simply means we're 100% capable and worthy of responding to everything that happens to us with words and actions to create a result that we actually want. So all it really is, is claiming power. To me, it's a power game. We can either choose to claim, we can either choose to, to exercise our power to create our own situation and create our own lifestyle, or we can give that power away to someone or something else. And I call it a pivotal choice because people that claim that power, their, their life goes in one direction and people that give that power up by blaming other things, other circumstances, they go in a completely different direction. And there are so many different examples of people that should be able to blame so many things, God, people, family, friends, the economy, politicians for all their circumstances. But, you know, I mean, you look at we just lost uh, Stephen Hawking, one of the greatest minds that you know, we've ever seen in the world of quantum physics, etc. And if anyone had a good excuse to blame their circumstances on something else and say that they couldn't amount to anything, it was him. But I mean, look what he accomplished in his lifetime. It's staggering, you know, to see how much he did when he had every excuse to say, just throw in a towel and say, I quit. We certainly have the power to make that choice and, and to respond to whatever hands we've been dealt and decide what we're going to build with it. Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of times we don't want to take that responsibility for ourselves mm -hmm. because we're afraid of what it's going to look like if we've made a mistake or if we're not as good as we want other people to think that we are. Because typically when somebody is shying away from taking responsibility for something, it's for it's because of the ego. It's because they're afraid yeah. of what someone else is going to think of them. So how do you work with people to help push through that? Yeah, I usually try to keep it simple. And I give a little framework that I call really the silly little name, the four laws of pure success. And the first law is that 100% responsibility, what I call the pivotal choice, and that pure and pure success is P-U-R-E. The P is for that pivotal choice to decide to be 100% responsible. And then secondly, it's encouraging them to, one of the earliest things I learned in my first couple months of reading about personal development and motivational psychology is having high standards. It, it's what anybody that's, that's heard the name Tony Robbins, he, or he always says that if you want to change the quality of your life, you got to change your standards. And what I found is that, you know, people usually are willing to maintain high standards when everything is fine. But when things hit the fan, we often give ourselves an excuse to kind of set those standards aside. So in other words, if somebody's usually, you know, somebody talks about, oh, you know, I came home from work today and my husband cooked me this night's dinner and he's the best and we had a great evening. Well, that's fine and dandy, but how do you react when you come home and the house is filthy and there's nothing to eat? <laughs> do, do, those, do you still have those same standards of being loving and being caring and being empathetic and asking how their day was? Or is it the same when things have gone the way you wanted them to go or has it changed? And I challenge people with that and they usually laugh like you do, but I say, think about that realistically. If your values are 
when it comes to your relationship for to use this example if your values are love and your values are empathy and your values are patience and tolerance and curiosity and all these things that are good for us why do we always find ourselves throwing those values away at the most critical moments and so when i share that you know i explain it the most important time to maintain your standards is when things are going wrong because those will be those crucial moments where you kind of define yourself and you define your legacy and, and you can train your mind to say, no, this is who I am, regardless of what's going on. I'm sure you've had similar experiences. I mean, you, you do some massively long races in, in your biking, and I'm sure you've had many moments where it was either quit or keep going. And when you keep going, you kind of you're training yourself who you're actually going to be and you're and you're really defining your values to yourself and when we teach ourselves who we are and we demand of ourselves who we're going to be that's when things change and when it, to answer your question about how do you get people to to buy into that responsibility i remind them of their values for me it's so easy to coach people when it comes to that because I, I ask them i'm like you know what do you value? Like, who's the person that you, if you were to define yourself or you were to define how you want people to look at you, what kind of things would you say to describe yourself? What's valuable to you? And when you allow people to speak about what's important to them, after that, all you have to do is hold them to it. Yeah, I love that. And I do think that we really figure out who we are and show who we are in difficult situations, not when things are going well. Like, in yeah. the context of a race, how do you handle losing or how do you handle a flat tire or something worse, getting lost or, or whatever? Yeah. Like the age old thing of whenever you want to really get to know somebody, travel with them because you will yes. be in every situation possible. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for sure. Definitely is. Yeah, it's funny because people often ask me, you know, how do you coach people to do A, B or C? And I don't think of it as coaching people to do or be anything. I look at it as coaching as just getting to know who the person is when they're willing to get comfortable enough to set down the baggage and kind of set down the things that they're struggling with and just kind of relax their mind and say, okay, who are you really? Like, what's important to you? And, and then it becomes just really an opportunity to remind somebody who they really are and remind somebody what's really important to them and remind them of who they want to be. And it becomes really easy because I mentioned this this pure success acronym, the, the R. We went from P for the pivotal choice to U to unconditionally high standards to the R is something I call reflective comparison. And once people are willing to kind of verbalize the person that they are and what's important to them and, and how it's important for them to show up for themselves and, and the lifestyle they want to live, then it becomes an active, okay, now that you've kind of explained who you are, then all you have to do in any given moment is decide, you know, what would in any situation, what would that flawless version of me be doing in any given moment? And I call it reflective comparison because, you know, most of the time people most of our society, we like to compare ourselves to the person that has a business in our same industry, but they're doing better than us, or the person that looks better than us, or is faster than us, or speaks better, or makes more money. But none of those comparisons do anything for any of us. But when we're willing to just look in the mirror and say, okay, who would I be if I set down my ego, if I didn't have a chip on my shoulder, if I really stayed true to the person I actually want to be? What would I do? If I was incapable of making a mistake, what would I do in this situation and in this moment? And I found it to be a really powerful tool because when you allow someone to just look in the mirror at themselves, nobody else, and answer that question with honesty, then you know, I always find that being willing to ask the difficult questions and the uncommon questions is when we're going to get the best answers. If we ask questions that are just ridiculously, ridiculously positive and ridiculously powerful and questions that would hold us to standards that we know we're never going to be capable of 100 percent at a time, we still have no choice but to start hearing the answers. I mean, just by asking ourselves, you know, what would I do if I couldn't get this wrong? you have to start thinking of results. It's like the old analogy, you know, what is it, you know, try not to picture a pink elephant on a White House lawn. You know, you have to picture it. 
and it's the same with the questions we ask ourselves. The more we ask more high quality questions, the more we're going to get high quality answers. Yeah, and I think that this also brings to the point of visualization and what you visualize your life looking like or what you're trying not to visualize. Those yeah. things in your mind actually have some influence over what you do and the lens you take whenever you're doing something. Yeah, that's definitely true. And it's one of those things where I love the topic of visualization because a lot of times people get very, very caught up in visualizing their goals and the things that they want to accomplish. But usually what we miss out on is the process. For me, I've, I've certainly done no races even close to what you've been doing, but I remember I ran one half marathon a couple of years ago. And one thing I got right was, uh, one thing I'm grateful for is the practice of visualizing the process, like visualizing what is going to go wrong. And when I turn that bend and I see the big uphill, what am I gonna do? And choosing and kind of playing those things out in your head before they happen. Oh my gosh, you want to talk? It's such a huge advantage. Uh, and I'd love to get your perspective on this because you've been through some grueling athletic events. And for me, it's planning ahead of time what you're going to do when you face something that is really unpleasant and seeing yourself overcome it. That's what made a big difference for me and, and when I was running at half marathon, because I'm I'm no career runner. I'm like six four, about two thirty-five, so I got a lug a lot of weight to lug around. <laughs> so I'm sort of like an NFL tight end out there, you know, running with these little <laughs> these little frame yeah. runners. <laughs> um, so it definitely took a lot of visualization for me to get through the process. But it's the same thing in life. You know, I tell people all the time, you need to be thinking about and visualizing the moments where you get triggered to have the wrong conversation or to make the wrong decision in your bit. You need to be willing to visualize what's going to happen and what you're going to do when things go wrong, because then you're prepared for it. Yeah, like consider what your worst case scenario will be. And then knowing yep. that you have a solution to fix it gives you back control. And whenever yeah. we feel anxiety, it's because we feel like we don't have control. So mm -hmm. once you visualize the worst possible thing that could happen, and then you already decide, okay, this is how I'm gonna to react to it, then it makes yeah. it a lot easier. <laughs> and to yeah. answer your question, like in a race, if I come around a corner and there's a big climb, or like, there's times <laughs> yeah. where you come around the corner and you'll see like people that look like ants and they're walking because you have to hike your bike <laughs> for like hours, like that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I always, I've pre-decided that I'm gonna laugh at it and I'm gonna just like find humor in it. And yep. that always helps. It might piss off the people around you because they're like, oh, my gosh. And then you're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> but it really helps. And like smiling makes a big difference. It actually sets off reactions in your brain that while you're doing something hard, if you force yourself to smile, you can't help but have some positive emotion associated with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's about creation. It's about creating the, you know, creating, a, deciding what you're going to create in that situation. And yeah, like you said, make something humorous out of it or do something to choose like this outcome is going to be and deciding ahead of time, like, okay, when I tell the story of what I did when I saw the hill, it's going to be a, a story with laughter in it. <laughs> so yeah, being willing to face those, uh, those things and and choose to create something. It's, it makes a big difference. Yeah. So I think that there's an underlying current underneath all of this that we're talking about. And in order to execute on all these things, you have to have some form of emotional control. And yeah. it's easy once you figured out and once you've been through all the steps on how to get better at that. But a lot of people are very reactive in their lives. And I'm not saying that in a judging or condescending way. It's just that some people just blow up instantaneously whenever there's something that happens that triggers them. So I know that something that you have worked with clients, coaching clients on is better emotional control and being able to create space uh, whenever there's a reaction. So what kind of tools can you give our listeners who might have more of that reactivity in their lives to have better emotional control? Yeah, you know, it's I appreciate you asking this because it's funny. Emotions are one of those things that, especially for me, because I love working with uh, entrepreneurs, like those entrepreneurs that have like a mission behind their business. And it's talking about emotions isn't usually something that comes up traditionally like usually think, oh, emotions are kind of touchy-feely and you know it's not that important but the truth is any of the goals that we're looking to achieve they come down to 
the emotions that we want to experience. So, for example, if somebody wants to make, you know, a million dollars a year, whether they realize it or not, the, the goal is the money. The goal is the feeling that comes with it because you'll be able to provide for your family or you'll be able to travel. You'll be able to not think about how you're going to provide for your own long-term security and all those things. So being able to control the emotions that you're feeling is such a big advantage because the truth is, and the research shows that people that decide ahead of time what their emotions are going to be, like they choose what type of experiences that they're going to generate as they go through life, they tend to be the ones that wind up being more successful in the first place. And the people that are more reactive, like you were saying, and just allowing their emotions to be triggered and kind of run wild on themselves, they tend to have a much harder time succeeding. So, you know, the first tactic I would say is very similar to what we were talking about earlier, and that's deciding ahead of time. What are your desired emotions? And it's a weird question for a lot of people because they don't think, you know, what do I mean? What are my desired emotions? My emotions are whatever, you know, it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. But there's something powerful about saying, deciding ahead of time, like, I'm a person who is going to be grateful. Like, I love feeling grateful. I love feeling pride or I love feeling calm. And if we really get in touch with choosing to generate those emotions, regardless of what's going on around us, it makes such a huge difference because then we're not waiting around to see what's going to come our way. We've chosen ahead of time, ahead of time, what kind of emotions that we're choosing to experience. And one of the things that helps with that is to decide or realize that we're not going to have control but we're always going to have influence. And what I mean by that is a lot of people say, you know, I I try to have a good day today, but things kind of were out of my control. But we always have the ability to influence a situation. And it goes back to taking back responsibility. And, you know, we get to choose, A, what are the emotions I want to feel? And B, when things kind of go sideways for us, how can we influence the situation? Like, in the moment. And having those two things, having the wherewithal to decide what kind of emotions we choose to experience. And then ahead, uh, in addition to that, realizing that we have the ability to influence every single one of our situations, it makes a big difference because then we can start being curious about what's happening around us, what's triggering our emotional states and realizing, you know, our responses in these situations Have they been leading us to the results that we want or have they been kind of setting us off course? And one of the easiest ways to take a look at how our emotions have been playing out is to pay attention to two things. Number one, what we give our attention to, in addition to that, the story that we tell ourselves about it. You know, I tell people a lot of time I had we had the situation in 2012 yeah, 2012, we had a storm that came through our neighborhood and like four trees got blown in half and they landed on top of our house. Oh no. And and they came crashing through crashing through the roof, crashing through the ceiling in the kitchen, um, landing on our kitchen table, smashing through the upstairs bathroom where our daughter usually takes a bath, through our daughter's bedroom, and through our fence. And the weird thing is, on any if this were any other Friday night, because it happened on a Friday night, we would have been home. Wow. And yeah, we, we would normally, like almost like clockwork, if you looked at our calendar like six weeks before and six weeks after, we would have been home pretty much every Friday night at that same time. And it just so happened that on this Friday, I had gotten a call from a friend to go to a Phillies game. And so I was out of town. I was in Philadelphia at Citizens Bank Park watching the, uh, or we were about to watch a baseball game. And because I left, my wife decided to take our daughter and my niece out to the mall. So just by happenstance, we weren't home. And had we been home, number one, my wife and I would have normally been sitting at that kitchen table where this massive tree came through and landed on it. Number two, our daughter probably would have been in that bathtub where the tree came through and smashed through the window and threw glass everywhere. Oh, and of course, our dogs would have been home, too. So (laughs) 
the, the reality is, and, and the truth is, that this storm wound up causing like six figures worth of damage to the house, and we were displaced oh, for a while. So I tell this story because a lot of people say, well, you know, you're trying to tell me that I can change my emotion by deciding what to pay attention to, but sometimes you don't have any choice about what to pay attention to, and which is true, because certainly in this case, uh, much as I would have loved to close my eyes and ears and pretended that this hadn't happened, the truth is it did happen. But the one thing that we could decide, and we decided as a couple and as a family, is that we can choose a story that we tell ourselves about the situation. We can choose story A and talk about how unfair this is, and this is crazy, and I can't believe this happened to our house, and how long is it going to take this stuff to get fixed, and this isn't fair, and how come none of the other houses had this happen to it? And on and on we could go, or we could talk about the miracles that happened. Like, mm -hmm. wow, how grateful should we be that I just so happened to get a call from a friend that got us all out of the house. So we decided to choose a story of gratitude. And because we chose that story of gratitude, it completely changed our emotions. I mean, yeah, were we upset that the house got pretty much jacked up? Yeah, of course we were. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but, but very quickly, you know, we were able to pause and say, okay, what's important here? Like, we're okay is what's important here. And the house will get fixed. And yes, it'll probably be a little frustrating to deal with the insurance company and contractors and all these other things. But we can choose a story that we keep running in our head over and over again. And when we pile these few things, just these few things that we're talking about, it's A, choosing to have that emotion. And we choose, like my wife and I will tell you, we choose positivity in our lives. We choose the people that we're around the things were conversations we're willing to have. We choose to have positive influences in our lives. And because we choose that, when these things do happen, we are very curious. I mentioned curiosity a moment ago. We pay attention to how we act. I mean, we kind of, a lot of times we kind of reflect on, you know, how we behaved at a certain location or around certain people or at some event. We talk about what triggered us, what didn't trigger us. And that curiosity goes a long way. And when it becomes a habit, when you decide what, you, what kind of emotions you're going to commit to and you decide to be curious about your own behavior and actually take the time to look at how you're behaving in situations, then these things become automatic because you can choose, A, what to pay attention to. And even if it's something that's unavoidable, like the situation with the house, we can choose a story because for sure everyone has the ability to choose what they tell themselves about their situation. We talked about uh, Stephen Hawking earlier. I mean, how easy would it have been for him to tell this story in his head that he can accomplish nothing because he was physically stricken? But he didn't. He chose the most unconventional story that somebody in his position could have chosen. And he, he chose to really change the way we think about the universe that we live in. And, you know, when we're willing to decide this is what my story is going to be, this is the story I'm going to repeat, and this is the, the legacy I'm going to leave, then the emotions will fall in line. Because there's, if there's one thing that we will listen to, it's our own words that we repeat to ourselves. And to me, that's probably the biggest emotional lesson I can give anyone is if we can take control over the words that we're continuing to tell ourselves the emotions will fall in line. They'll fall into place. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. And I write about happiness quite a bit. And there's a researcher that I love, and his name is Sean Acor. And he's written this book called The Happiness Advantage. And one of the chapters in The Happiness Advantage is called Change Your Explanatory Style. And it's yeah. exactly what you just talked about. It's taking a situation and you can decide to be a victim of your circumstance, like with you or like the example you gave with Stephen Hawking. And in the book uh -huh. with Sean Acor, it was a very small example saying that someone walked outside and one guy is upset that it's raining and another guy just views it in a different way or like... <laughs> yeah. Or like yeah. there was a bank robbery and someone got shot and a negative person would say, oh my God, like the person who got shot, they would say, oh, I'm so unlucky and blah, blah, blah. But someone with a positive explanatory style says, oh, I'm, I'm so lucky that I didn't die. Mm -hmm. So we get to yeah. choose, yeah, having that choice. And for me, like people always ask me, oh, you always seem so positive and how do you do that? And it's 100% what you just said of choosing the lens, choosing to have a positive explanatory style with any given situation. 
Yeah, yeah. And it, and it, it affects literally every area of our life. I know I had like, years ago, I was sharing a story years ago in my law enforcement career. I got passed over from, for a promotion like three times. It was horrible. And then I had I had all the things on my resume that I could argue that made me good enough for the position. And it, back when it initially happened, I was young and it was before my event. It was before I had gone through this this transformation that my life and my mindset has gone through over the past decade. And I was doing a lot of blaming. But as crazy as it sounds, once I was had the opportunity to make that shift about the story that I was telling myself about how unfair things were, and I changed it to, okay, I'm completely in control of what's going to happen to me. And how can I be better at being me, both on and off the job? You know, within six years, I think I jumped from like the rank of patrol. I jumped like four ranks to from patrolman to sergeant to lieutenant to captain. Wow. And it is absolutely because of the stories I, I that I changed in my head. Like I just completely refused to let anyone else have control over my professional advancement. I refused to let it like like my my mindset became. I'm going to show up and do my job to the point where it will be impossible for anyone to ignore me. Not out of ego, just I'm going to hold myself to that level of performance. And for sure, I certainly wasn't flawless and I made plenty of mistakes along the way. But because I was willing to demand that much of myself and it totally changed my life professionally and and personally. And it, it, it just shows up everywhere. You can't there's just no denying it. Well, now I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to ask you something that may or may not be uncomfortable, but I want to talk about the stereotype of being a police officer. Sure, yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, I, I actually know a lot, of, quite a lot of police officers, and a lot of them are great people, but there is a stereotype of masculinity and abusing control and ego mm. and all these things, which aren't necessarily true. So, like, how have you personally overcome that stereotype, number one? And number two, how do you apply all of these things that you love talking about in a workplace that's, uh, like, there's there's plenty of police women out there, but I myself come from a male-dominated environment, and there's a lot of things that go on there. So I guess first, let's talk about how you've overcome the stereotype of being a police officer. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's almost a two-sided question, or I should say two-sided answer for me. It's funny because I, I didn't really realize it for a while, but I found that I wound up re- recognizing that in my non-police career, as I've been doing this work as a podcaster and, and with my own website and doing this work in, in personal development and mindset and helping people connect with themselves and others and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I never really talked about even the fact that I had this other career. And it wasn't something that I thought about. I just naturally did it. And it's funny because in hindsight, I think it's because I didn't want people to bring their stereotypes into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Like I I assumed that the stereotype existed. So it's one of those things that I've even had to overcome myself because, you know, I I recognize how strong for some people, it's not everyone, because some you know, some people they hear what I do that, that I was a police officer. And they're like, "Oh my gosh, you're awesome!" And thank you so much for your service and all that, all those positive. Yeah, because like you know, it, I, I think it'd be terrifying to be a police officer. Like you literally are in the line of fire and you're dealing yeah. with criminals. Like that, you have to yeah. be really brave to do that. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. Uh, well, let me answer the question the other way. As far as how I dealt with the stereotype, for me, I've been very fortunate that in our agency we've been very progressive. And I think on the whole, if you, if you look on the whole, we have about 30,000 people in our community that I serve and we've had overwhelming support. And I remember some years ago when the when the, the whole event in Ferguson happened. And if we think about that, that was, that was one of the the recent of the one of the events that triggered this national sentiment that has gone on for some years. I, I remember our, our local high school wanted to have this forum. And they had called our agency and they said, hey, we want some representatives from the police department to come down. And they're going to have this panel about not just police officers, but the whole justice system. So they had some judges on this panel and police officers, and and they wanted to allow the audience to ask questions directly of us. 
So of course I get the calls. I think <laughs> I was I was a lieutenant at the time, and my we we don't have a police chief. We have a director of public safety, and he called and he tells me that I'm going to go to this thing because he wants me to be the face of the agency to answer these questions, and I'm like, oh my. <laughs> Gosh, are you kidding me? Now, I'd spent, I spent I was on a SWAT team for 15 years and I was never as terrified <laughs> as I was at the thought of going to an event like this on the heels of Ferguson and this the the, the news just blasting all these negative stories as often as they can about these horrible things that are going off going on around the country. And for me as a professional I'm thinking this happened so far away from me I thought if I'm a doctor and another doctor halfway across the country made a horrific mistake, I wouldn't have to answer for that doctor's mistake. That's so true. Because, because I, I don't live there. I never met this person. I don't know him. I don't know his agency. I don't know his hospital. But, you know, obviously the nature of this business, you can't do that. You have to answer the question. So, of course, I went. And it was one of the most stunning events that ever happened to me because yeah. – there was so much overwhelming support for us. Like it was emotionally moving. And mind you, we're, I, I work in a predominantly African-American community, 73%. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'd ever been thanked so much for the way it never been verbalized to me personally from the community standpoint, how much we were appreciated. And it was a complete opposite of what I expected. And sure, we asked, you know, we had to answer a bunch of questions about things that people had been seeing on the news and how we would handle things in that situation and what we're trained to do and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, the way I handled it is, number one, I had to let go of what I saw on the national media and even some local media about, you know, policing. I, I had to let go of it because I can't if I try to keep my hands and wrap my arms around all this stuff and try to control it. And like I said earlier about, you know, we always have influence, but we don't have control. I had to exercise my influence instead of trying to to grasp control over everybody's opinions. So for me, it's about each interaction. And every time I talk to somebody, you know, remembering what my values are. It's it's funny. I I tell people, people are shocked when I tell them some of the best conversations I've ever had in my life were with people I've had to arrest. Oh, wow. You know, and we would just sit and talk about them and they would ask about me and we would talk about the situation. And, and we would, and this is long before I ever got into coaching or anything. I mean, I'm talking back when I was, I had, you know, just a few years on the job. I always enjoyed talking to people um, and granted, granted, this happened, didn't happen every time, but there, more often than not, you know, I would have just good human conversations with people. But it was our culture. Like, we really weren't – I'm so lucky to be in this job where our agency just – we didn't have a culture where we had this issue of this underlying, you know, stereotyping and stuff. It's it's really been a – for me, it's been a fun career, and even though I've seen tons of tragedy and, and lots of horrible – Things happen to people and lots of people that could have otherwise had a great life, just kind of throw their life away, making some horrific decisions. But, you know, for me, dealing with these stereotypes is just taking one interaction at a time and having that intention of just doing your job the best you can and, you know, treating people like what they are. They're people. People will make mistakes and people make good decisions. And, you know, I I try to keep the mindset of people are not you can't summarize a person by a single decision. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I can certainly look back on some moment in our life that if it was the only moment that people saw us, they would have a very strong opinion about us. (laughs) Probably wasn't too positive. (laughs) But 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 those moments don't define us in and of themselves. And I, I try to keep that in mind every time I came to work and. You know, a lot of it came from the family environment I grew up with. I had I had great parents that taught me to respect people. And, you know, the friends I grew up with, even though we were young knucklehead kids, sometimes we they, we were always good people. I always had good people in my life that were influencing me. And some of them I actually worked with on the job and, you know, been doing it with them for a couple of decades now. And it's it's made it a lot easier to deal with these things, to have 
support and understanding from number one, the community and number two, the people you work with. So, but we've been progressive. We're like, we were one of the first agencies in New Jersey, New Jersey to have body cams and tasers and the technology that was kind of leading, leading the edge uh, in this industry. And it's been a good thing. It's definitely been a good thing. Yeah, that'd be real. I, I could actually record an entire podcast about what it's actually like to be a police officer because mo- most of us will never have the experiences or see the things that you have seen ever. And we're lucky that we have people who want to serve the community to do that because I personally think that would be a really hard job. It's funny because I had probably the best – here's the best advice I ever got, and I think it saved – now, I know it saved both my career and it saved my sanity and even my home life. And it, it was a good man told me a long time ago when I first got married – because I got married uh, – my wife and I got married when I only had – gosh, I only had one year on the job. So I was like a rookie. And he told me – he said, whatever you do, do not bring this job home with you. He said, you're going to see some horrible things. You're going to be involved in horrible things. You're going to see things that most people won't even have nightmares about, but do not bring it home. And I was young. I was in my early 20s at the time, and I didn't realize how important it was. I understood what he was saying, but I didn't realize just how important it was. Mm-hmm. But I took it to heart because I, I trusted the guy and I believed him. And I really did my best not to bring some of those things home. And it saved me. Because, again, you can't control that stuff. It's funny. We keep going back to what I was saying about, you know, we have influence, but we don't have control. Uh, So being willing to let go of some of the things that you see and deal with and, you know, sometimes people do some crazy stuff to you. Being able to let that stuff go and be able to come home and appreciate what your life is actually like and recognize that that (laughs) when I used to joke with the guy, I trained recruits for like seven years. And I always used to tell them, like, look, you got to remember something. Our job is to go talk to people on their worst day. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you think about it, like, people aren't calling us to just say, hey, you know, this is Mr. Jones. And we just want to let you guys know things are going pretty well for us. And <laughs> we think you'd like to know. <laughs> no, like, they're calling you because somebody broke into their home or there's been some kind of, like, spouse abuse or a car accident or somebody's sick or dying or had a heart attack. Like they're calling us. We are only hearing from there's 30,000 people in this town and we're only hearing from the few that are having a day where all hell is breaking loose. That's our job. And if we keep that in perspective and recognize that 99.99 percent of the people in this town are doing just fine without our intervention, then we'll recognize we'll get the bigger picture and realize like, okay, the world is not falling apart. It's just our job to deal with the worst of it at the moment. Mm -hmm. So keeping that perspective kind of makes it a little bit easier. Awesome. And and like as a leader, you know, you're now you're the chief and going back to all the things that we just talked about, how do you apply that at work whenever you have somebody who maybe isn't taking responsibility or who is reactive? What what do you do in a leadership role in that position? Yeah, we it's cool. There's a lot of checks and balances. And one of the good things about the way our industry operates or at least it operates in our agency because one of the things I, I've, I've learned quickly is that every, everybody, just like there are different businesses and every business has its own culture, its own norms, even though in policing there, there's laws and directives that come from the attorney, state attorney general on down, everybody has their own vibe. And the only thing I can speak of is the vibe where we are. And we have a structure where, you know, we have the boots on the ground, so to speak, the men and women that are out there driving around in the cars with the uniform and badge on. But we became an agency that was uh, accredited back in 2013, I think, was our first year of accreditation, and which which is just like in a college, you know, you want to go to an accredited college because that means that they have outside auditors coming in and making sure they're doing education the way it's supposed to be done. Well, Mm -hmm. same goes for police work. We have outside auditors come in and make sure we're doing law enforcement the way it's supposed to be done. So having that structure in place and having a culture where we try to make people realize that, you know, number one, we're not here for us. We're here for the community first. And then we're here for ourselves second. And in those, it makes it easier so that in those moments where if when people make a mistake or they violate some rule or things like that, having those conversations makes it a whole lot easier because you just remind them what we're here for. Like, we're not here for us. We're not here to 
stroke our own egos or pretend we always get it right. We're here to do our best to take care of this town. And part of doing that is following the best practices and holding ourselves accountable. And it makes it so much easier to have those conversations because it's, I tend to think that the best way to handle those things, and this isn't just in the world of law enforcement, it's just in life. The best way to handle the mistakes is to remember why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. And if you got off track, fine, get back on track because everybody's going to have a down day and everybody's going to have a moment where they make a mistake. And yeah, we got to deal with the consequences when we do. But for me, and, and I've made enough mistakes during my career, for me, just being able to set aside the ego and allowing myself to say, you know what, I made a mistake, and I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to be better the next time. And not labeling somebody because of their mistake, it makes it easier. It makes it a lot easier. I think that's what defines a leader is somebody who can stop and raise their hand and put their hand in the air and say, I made a mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because it's one of the best things I, I've, over the years, one of my proudest moments is when people would make a mistake and they would be very clear about the mistake they made because that's all you want as a leader. When 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 the person you know made a mistake can articulate exactly what that mistake was, where the decision process went wrong, and when you can see the contrition in their face and their body language and everything when they're explaining it, you can't ask for more than that. You know, you, you really can't. Like when you know the it, it, when it comes from those moments where the mistakes are happening, the best you can ask for is somebody to be able to explain a mistake better than you were going to explain it. And you know, fortunately, I've been around a lot of people that have been able to put their ego aside and do that. And you know, I think it speaks to the culture. Yeah. So to wrap this up, tell us about your podcast. Yeah, for sure. Uh, podcast is called Unbreakable Success, and I started about about two years ago. And really, the purpose of this show is to—it's about mindset, success mindset. So most of the episodes I do involve interviews similar to this one, where people come on and, and most of the time they're entrepreneurs or somebody with an entrepreneurial spirit and they talk about their story, their journey to the success that they're experiencing right now, the lessons learned along the way. And the goal is really to draw out those lessons that can help the listeners apply them, those lessons to their own business and their own personal life. And I, I definitely curate the people that are on the show and, you know, I don't take Anybody, I don't bring anybody on the show just because they ask. I, I really like to choose and get to know the people and at least a little bit and understand who they are because I like to keep it high quality for the listeners. Uh, but it's been so much fun. I mean, I, I learned so many lessons from the, from the people that I get to talk to and have developed a lot of long-lasting relationships from it. I'm, I'm in a mastermind now. Every Tuesday, I have a group of entrepreneurs. We have a mastermind group, and it all, it all happened because of the relationships that came from the show. Yeah, it's definitely some high value conversations, much like your show, Sonia here. Thanks. Uh, some really good conversations and lots to learn. So I hope people, if they have it second and they're so inclined to come, come check it out. Yeah, go check it out. We'll definitely put it in the show notes. And where else can, like, what's your website and your coaching too, if people want to get in touch with you that way? Yeah, the best way to dive in and, and reach out to me for the podcast and for coaching and for some free resources is AaronKeithHawkins.com. And if you go to the site, you'll see a resource page where I've got some free downloads and you'll see a link to the podcast. Uh, and you can contact me directly through the site. There's a phone number and an email address right on the homepage on, on the top left. So if you want to get a hold of me, that's a place to do it. And uh, I always respond uh, very quickly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And oh, I noticed that you're doing some live videos and things like that right now. Do you want to tell us about that before we sign off? Yeah, definitely. I, I'm having a, um, I'm actually planning a live event in Jersey. Oh. Uh, yeah, coming up in a, in, in a couple months. And I plan to do them regularly. So if you, if you want to find out about it, it's a live event, event for mission-driven entrepreneurs. And it's really about leveraging the, the power of connection so you can connect with your audience and your your clients so you can create a bigger impact and obviously grow your your business. One of the things I love most about coaching is is helping people understand how to connect with other people and understand human behavior and, and getting people to feel connected to you as a person 
so that they can be more inclined to stick around and, and engage with your product or service. So that's one of the biggest things that I've been working on lately. So that's coming up. If you go to AaronKeithHawkins.com, there's a link to it so you can get notified as when the dates and, and times are announced. So yeah, I appreciate that. Cool. Congratulations on all of your, your success and your hard work and just having the courage to live the life that you want to live and helping others do the same thing. I think that's incredible. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure to be here, Sonia. It's always, always great talking to you. And thank you to listeners for hanging out and sharing a conversation with us. All right. See you next time. What'd you guys think? Aaron is a pretty cool dude and he's somebody that I am going to keep in touch with and we became friends. I also went on his podcast, so he and I know each other pretty well now. Before you guys take off a few things, don't forget to check out the Sonia Looney experience. I would love to see you guys there at my mountain bike wellness retreat. If you'd like to sign up for my email newsletter, I only send it out once a month, so it definitely will not clog up your inbox. Go to sonyalooney.com and there is a little window that will pop up and you can put in your email and I'll be doing things like cool articles I've read, a summary of the podcast for the month, articles I've written, just a bunch of different information in case you're looking for a little bit more inspiration on how to do epic shit in your life. My next big adventure is in, drum roll, Japan! That's right. I've always wanted to go to Japan. It is at the top of my list. And my really good friend, Yuki Ikeda, he's my former teammate. He and I have done the Joburg to see in South Africa together. We used to both be on Team Topi Gurgon and travel all around the world together. He lives in Japan. He used to live in Colorado, but now he lives in Japan. And I have been trying to get to Japan to do this race. It is a hundred kilometer mountain bike race. It's the biggest race in Japan. And it's gonna be a really neat experience. Typically my international travel is for stage races and for this time it's just a one day race which means I get more time to see things around Tokyo and on our road trip. So stay tuned for that. Follow my Instagram at Lunisanya if you want to see some cool sights from Japan and that's not until mid-May. So that's about it you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Make sure you check out kuatracks.com, our podcast sponsor who is helping a lot. Really appreciate those guys and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures and we'll see you back here next week.